Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. This week we will be continuing our series on a new lens looking through the book of 1 Corinthians by covering 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12 focuses focuses in on spiritual gifts. And one of the things I wanted to begin saying is that spiritual gifts are not um, natural gifts. There's a lot of times when we talk about our gifting and the things that that we can do and it kind of deals with um, more, more practical things. Like, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at math, and so that's something that, that I've had some training in and, and I've got a gifting towards. Um, I'm a pretty decent teacher. Now, I do think that is a spiritual gift, but there's aspects of my teaching that have been very much inf- influenced by the education that I've received, the training that I've received, the experience that I have. And so that's a place where kind of some natural gifts and some spiritual gifts meet together. Um, But the focus really is on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, As I said before, especially with my teaching being one of my spiritual gifts, um, they can kind of play in with some of our natural gifts, some of our natural abilities. Um, But spiritual gifts kind of stand apart as as something different. some of these spiritual gifts, it's a little bit more evident. Um, speaking in tongues is a little bit weirder. And, and in fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about that a little bit more directly. Um, prophecy is, well, often misunderstood with the way that it's actually defined biblically. Um, but that's one of those ones, again, it feels a little bit more spiritual. But some of these gifts like administration and teaching and those kind of gifts um, seem a little bit more natural, a little bit more regular, a bit mundane even. But they're included as part of the spiritual gifts, and there's a lot to say about that, um, but I just wanted to start off by saying spiritual gifts are different than natural gifts, and and so I I want us to kind of forget about some of those natural gifts type things as we hear what Paul has to say about spiritual gifts. This is also an area, because of the way that I tend to go about my faith, um, the way I tend to go about life, I'm kind of a practical, logical, intellectual type person. I like things that I can study, that I can think about, things that are a bit more concrete, a bit more real. Spiritual gifts are mystical. They're something different. They're things that the Holy Spirit has chosen to give us. And we don't always have a good explanation for why or where it came from or how we're even able to do the things that we can do because it's the Holy Spirit doing them. And so so this is something that I kind of struggle to think about, struggle to talk about effectively. Today I'm going to have the text primarily speak. Um, And we're just going to kind of go through an analysis of the text and see what it has to say about spiritual gifts Um, I I think it's something that Paul feels pretty equipped to write about, and so we're going to just kind of listen to what Paul has to say about the spiritual gifts. So with that being said, let's just start digging into some texts. I'm going to go ahead and read through all of chapter 12 throughout tonight's talk, Um, but we're going to kind of break it down and have some other things to say uh, that will help us better understand what the text is trying to communicate. So let, again, let's just get into it. Let's read some text. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 1. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So let's start to break down these first three verses here. Um, for one, there's that word where he says pagans there. Um, it's the word Greek word ethne, and, and it can actually be translated to Gentiles, which is kind of an interesting choice of that word here. Um, it's a word that would have had specific meaning, especially if you're translating it Gentiles, referring to those that are not Jewish. A reminder, again, the Corinthian church made up of Jews, Greeks, Romans, um, a bunch of different ethnic groups. And it seems like here that Paul's a little bit more directly um, addressing those that are Gentiles, those that are not of a Jewish faith background, but have come to uh, a faith in God through, through other means, uh, through other experiences, those who were likely converted to either Judaism or Christianity. And that's why they're part of this church in Corinth. Um, I think what he's trying to remind them of is that when you're worshiping God, when you're doing these things, that you're dealing with something that's real. God is real. The Holy Spirit, even though hard to understand and feeling a little bit mystical, it's not like a mute idol. It's not like something that human hands have crafted. There's actually someone that is speaking to you, that the Spirit of God is speaking through you, that, that there's more going on here than just the worship of idols. And so I think that's what he's trying to emphasize here. And I also want to point out, he says, when uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Um, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, I think would carry a lot more impact in the Roman Empire. Uh, because in the Roman Empire, you are required, um, expected to say that Caesar is Lord. Um, in many places, you're expected to worship Caesar as a god, that he's supposed to be the Lord of your life. So in many ways, saying Jesus is Lord is a, is a treasonous statement against Rome. It's one that could even be considered punishable by death in many areas, and Corinth is likely one of those areas. And so Paul's saying it's the Holy Spirit that guides us, that gives you the courage, that gives you the boldness to make those treasonous statements against Rome, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So I don't want us to run by that phrase too quickly. Uh, however, there's a lot more text to get to, so let's keep reading. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That was verses 4 through 6. And there's this cool thing that's happening there because it's the Trinity is at play. We've got three different mentions of the characters of God. We've got the Spirit, Lord, who's Jesus, and God. Spirit, Son, Father, all mentioned in back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back verses. And it kind of gives them some cool roles in here because it says, um, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Here I think Paul is saying it's the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts. Verse 5 says, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Here I think he's saying that Jesus is the one who instructs us how to use those gifts. 
And then verse 6, there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It is God who gives us the energy to do our gifts. And so within this process of using your spiritual gifts, all members of the Trinity are, are present and are taking a role. The Spirit is giving you the gifts. Jesus is instructing you on how to use your gifts. And God is giving you the energy to use those gifts. Verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I want to highlight that phrase for the common good. It's a reminder that our spiritual gifts are given to us not for our own betterment, not for us to get noticed. It's for the good of others, for the common good. Verses 8 through 11, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So that text there is pretty much just a list of gifts. Uh, what I want to say is that that list of gifts is not exhaustive. There's other places where Paul lists out spiritual gifts, and he has some others that he includes, and he leaves out some of these. And he's got a purpose for making that list the way that he does in each of the texts. Um, but the main thing I want to focus on is that that's not an exa exhaustive list. There's more gifts that do exist. Also, uh, the reminder in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's that reminder that we can't bargain with God, that we can't state which gift we would prefer to have, that God, through his Holy Spirit, determines what gifts we should have and then gives those out accordingly. God is piecing this together, putting this together, in order to best prepare his church so that we can all serve for the common good. And so Paul uses that kind of as a transition into an extended metaphor that he does in verses 12 through 26, talking about how the body of Christ, all believers, as we are together, the body of Christ, um, how we're supposed to work together with all of our various different gifts in order to best serve what Christ is trying to do. So let's read that extended metaphor from the text. For just as the, this starts in verse 12, for just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The thing I love about this text is it's Paul's making this extra effort to remind us that there is equality here. That if we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, whatever position we find ourselves in, whatever position we are born into, that there is equality when it comes to the body of Christ. And we are to keep that in mind, even if, even if we have these different gifts. They've all been given by the same Holy Spirit. And so there's this equality there. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Uh, some cool cultural insights. Uh, feet in... in um, Jewish culture and even to this day, Middle Eastern culture, um, the foot is like one of the dirtiest parts of the body. 
Um, you should always try to keep your feet covered, um, and that's why you see, like it talks about in Scripture, feet being covered is the sign of respect, because the feet are unclean and they are dirty. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, that's such an incredible display, because again, feet shouldn't be touched, shouldn't be talked about, shouldn't be thought of. Dirtiest part of the body. The hand, on the other hand, is the most honored, especially the right hand, most honored part of the body. And so it makes sense within this metaphor that a foot would think so much incredibly less of itself and desire to be a hand instead of being the lowest, unclean, dirtiest part that it wants to be the most honored. But that's not the case within Christ's body. There's equality. There's honor for all. Paul continues, verse 16, If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Again, Paul goes to the head here, culturally, ear very clean, eye very honored, um, better part of the body, and so he uses kind of that same metaphor, but just uh, continues to say, hey, even if the lesser thinks it should not be a part of it, we're going to miss out. We need those things. Because if the whole body, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, would be the sense of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, would be the sense of smell. We need all parts of the body in order to function the, the way that God has arranged things. Verse 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We've got this extended metaphor talking about how gifts, how people are all part of the body, and there's equality, and there's value, and there's honor in all of those. I also want to highlight another part that Paul gave um, back in verses uh, 23 and 24. Um, talking about the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Especially when he used that phrase, unpresentable parts. I, I think that's Paul's kind of more PC way to talk about genitals. The reproductive organs of the body. Um, he's kind of bringing them up in this subtle way, but, but what he's trying to say is that those are really important. You need reproductive organs to produce more bodies. Very true. It's biology. It's how it works. But we need to remember this metaphor is also for spiritual gifts, not just for people. It's talking about the equality and the importance of people, yes. But it's also talking about the equality and importance of spiritual gifts. When we think through the spiritual gifts and we try to maybe compare them to reproductive organs, we need to think of which spiritual gift results in re reproduction. And that, I think, is the spiritual gift of evangelism. And it's an important part. It's a highly honored part because without evangelism, we die. We don't produce any more members. We don't continue 
on and on and on. And so this is a gifting. This is something that's very important for the body to do. And I think what he's trying to say with this metaphor too, that, that idea of being treated with greater modesty. It's something that we need to be really careful with. Evangelism as a gifting is, is, is great because of its ability to reproduce. But it's something that we need to take great caution, care, modesty with. Because if we just start going out and displaying all of it, I think we're going to turn people away and they're going to leave disgusted and not understanding what we're really about. Because if all we try to do is reproduce ourselves, then that maybe can cause greater harm. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trying to proclaim Christ, that we shouldn't be trying to spread the gospel. But I think we do need to be really careful with the ways that we do it. We need to extend modesty. Which is very much true back in Paul's day because being that openly Christian could get you killed and then you're not very productive with your spiritual gifts if you're dead. But in our day, uh, there's some equal things to keep in mind. Uh, sometimes when the words Christian is talked about in, in non-church circles, the only things are thought of are people that that yell and persecute and cause anger and shame and, and all of these things. And for some people, that's the only picture they have of Christianity. And I think that part of the reason that's happened is because those that have been gifted with evangelism and burdened with evangelism haven't always displayed modesty with their gifting. They go out and they shout on street corners and they have such a desire to reach the lost uh, that they don't seem to care who they affect, who they offend in that process. And I think we need to be modest with our reproductive gifts. But there's a way to be modest and there's a way to be appropriate and still be functional and doing the calling of evangelism. And that's something that I think all of us need to be engaged in, even if that's not necessarily our gifting. It's a part of a process. It's something that I believe Jesus has called all of us to do in the Great Commission when he says, therefore, go and make disciples. It's something I think we're all expected to do. But it's a process, and it takes time. It takes care. We need to be modest with the reproductive gifts. I think there's more that can be said about that, but I don't know if we have the time to get through that tonight because we've got some more text to talk about. And there's some more things that are going on with this text that need to be highlighted, but I did want to see, say that piece about evangelism. Because in verse 26, um, there's a really cool part where Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I think this is supposed to be a reminder about how universal the church is. Sometimes when we talk about the body of Christ, all we think about is the church that we're in, the body of believers that we have, our particular ministry, our particular 
our particular group of believers that are, that are around us in our geographic area. And we forget about the church worldwide. Or even the other churches that are across town that have different denominational affiliations but are still part of the body of Christ. And we need to remember that if, if, if one member suffers, if there's persecution going on across the globe, that that's the persecution that, that happens to us too. And we should mourn for them and we should pray for them and we, we suffer together with them. But also that if one member is honored, that we all should rejoice together with them. Even if it's the church across town and, and they're bringing in more people and gaining new members. If there's another ministry on campus that's really big and really cool and bringing in lots of people. And I get so jealous of them because I want to have that kind of ministry that I need to remember to rejoice. Because that's positive work that's being done for the kingdom, that their victory is our victory. And that's especially poignant to me with where I'm at right now and some of the things that I've been thinking about recently that, and just getting jealous because maybe ministry isn't the way that I want it to be and the things that are happening aren't, aren't going the way that I want them to. And it's so easy to look at other groups and say, man, that's, that's so cool what they're doing. Why, why can't we do that too? Why can't we have that kind of impact, that kind of reach? Well, instead I should be going, God, thank you so much that they're having that kind of impact and reach and that they're bringing people to you and that they're teaching your kingdom, that they're doing it well. At the same time, remember that God has gifted me in a certain way and there's things that I can do and there's people that I can impact and there's things that I, people I can reach and that there's a point, there's a purpose, there's a reason for our ministry to work the way that it does. And that God's working through that. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Paul closes again with that list of gifts. Uh, I think is a reminder that the body needs that diversity. That we are all members of the same body in the same way our gifts are all members of the same body and we need a diversity of gifts. That is how God works. And all gifts are for the common good. For the good of others. Not to lift up ourselves. Not to get ourselves noticed. Not for everyone to go, he's a really good teacher. You should listen to him. But for people to listen to us to go, wow, that teaching was really impactful. And now I know what God's trying to communicate to me. And I can move forward with what I need to do for the common good. Gifts are for the common good. Not for ourselves. And then verse 31 is an interesting verse. Um, in some ways, it kind of sticks out to me because it doesn't sound like 
like maybe it should, that it starts to sound like, but always try to have the better gifts. And, and I think we're missing out on the phrasing that Paul's using here because uh, primarily I think this verse serves as a transition, a transition to the next chapter, the chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. And if we keep that in mind, I think it makes a little bit more sense what's going on here. Paul says, but uh, or this translation, the ESV, uh, renders verse 31 as, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a more excellent way. And there's also some, some difficulty here within the translation and, and maybe there's a better way to put this verse. Um, there's some cool things kind of going on with the language here where that more excellent way part is actually referring to like a high mountain pass and it's a really hard thing to, to translate actually with the, the words that, that Paul uses here. But Paul actually I think is setting up this metaphor of mountain climbing. Um, and actually, he uses some other places in, in love talking about how it's, it's, it's higher and that there's like higher gifts and, and that love never falls. And that there's these ideas, these mountain climbing motifs that are going on within the next chapter. And I think he starts to introduce that here by talking about a higher way, a mountain pass that you can go up and over. That, that's the more excellent way that Paul wants to show you. And I think what Paul's trying to say that that even if you earnestly desire the higher gifts, that even if you have the higher gifts, there's still there's a way to apply, there's a way to do any spiritual gifts that's that's the best, that's that's the way to get over the mountain. And that's love. And so whatever gifting you have, if it's one of those more desirable ones, if it's one of the maybe lesser looked at, lesser thought of gifts that there's always a higher way to apply and a higher way to do that. And it's a journey. It's mountain climbing. It's going to take a lot. But the journey is love. The way to do it is love. So next week, Aaron's going to teach through that chapter and tell you more about love as the way that we should accomplish the ways that we should do what we've been gifted to do, what we've been called to do, what we've been equipped to do. So use your gifts. Seek out your gifts. We'll try to post some things online and other places in CCF. Um, there's some pretty cool spiritual gifts assessments things. If you're not really sure what your spiritual gift is and, and want to try to get some insight into that, um, there's some ways to know. There's some things that you can that you can kind of judge for yourself. Um, but I encourage you most of all to pray for God to open your eyes as to how you're gifted, for God to give you opportunities to utilize your gift um, for the common good. So let's listen to that instruction of Paul. Let's use our spiritual gifts, even if we don't always understand how the Holy Spirit works or why we have these particular gifts. I think we can trust that God has a purpose behind it and a reason for doing what he does. The key is, is that he wants us to move. So let's move and use our gifts to bless this campus, to bless the world so they can see who Christ is. 
Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week, and please know that we are praying for you.